Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. LCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. It's important that we understand that worry is a sin. It's become the American acceptable sin. We don't even think about it, but it is a sin. It's wrong. It's a slap in God's face. It's saying that, yes, I know what you're saying, but... My mother was a world-class worrier. She was actually proud of how she worried. I think if worry was an Olympic event, she would have won a record number of gold medals. But in fact, worry says to the almighty lover of our souls who can never fail us, it says, I don't trust you. From Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, this is Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Today, Pastor Steve concludes the second message in this series from Psalm 37 called Fret Not Because of Evildoers. In verse 3 of this psalm, David tells us, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. In other words, be confident enough in God to do what is right even when those around you are getting rich by doing wrong. Bloom where God has planted you and keep reminding yourself that God is faithful. Now here's Pastor Steve to continue. Now I want to continue to see what else David tells us to do in order to develop this meek spirit. So we move to the next verse, and in doing that we see that in addition to trusting in the Lord, David now commands us, and it is a command, to delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And David says that the way to develop this this meek, humble, gentle spirit is by delighting in the Lord. The question is, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? How does someone delight in the Lord? Well, in order to understand what David is saying, it's important to remember why he is writing these words. He's writing to people who were upset, envious over the material prosperity, as we've said, of the wicked. And they they felt this way, at least in part, because, note this, they wanted to enjoy some of their prosperity for themselves. In other words, they wanted to delight in some of the luxuries that others were delighting in. They wanted a little enjoyment in these material goods as well. So what David is telling them is that the way to develop a meek spirit that does not fret over what other people have is by delighting in the Lord enjoying him, being satisfied with him. You see, it's one thing to delight in the things that God gives us. It's quite another thing to delight in God himself. So how exactly do we delight in the Lord? This is a critical question. It's an important question that we have to answer because if you don't nail this down and you don't understand what it means to delight in the Lord, I'm just afraid that the words delight yourself in the Lord sound so vague and so ambiguous to obey that we're, we're not going to obey it, but we must obey it. This is a command. God says that we are to delight in him. 
So what does this mean? Well, we certainly know how to delight in certain things that we find enjoyable, don't we? Whether it be delighting in our spouse by spending time with him or her, or delighting in our favorite sports team by watching them play and beating other certain teams, which will remain unnamed, or delighting in food by enjoying a good meal, or delighting in our children or grandchildren by by playing with them. We know what that means. So if we know how to delight in these things, then how do we delight in the Lord? Listen closely. Essentially, we delight in the Lord by getting to know him better so that we can admire him, so that we can adore him, so that we can enjoy him for who he is. I love the way one Bible teacher put it. He said, know him, learn of him, study him, explore his ways, investigate his will, become a student of the personality and the character of God, and he will most surely captivate your mind. To delight in him is to behold his beauty in all of its vast array, the symmetry of his attributes, the intricacies of his handiwork, the splendor of his power, the the majesty of his mercy, and the list, he says, could go on quite literally infinitely. With the Spirit's help, we must learn, he says, to cultivate and redirect all affections so that they are rooted in him and they are riveted to him. So if you want victory over being irked by the prosperity of others, then stop looking at what other people have. Start looking to the Lord and see what you have in him. Everything of real value is found in Jesus Christ. Everything. Wisdom. Holiness. Justice. Love. Compassion. Integrity. Power. On and on and on it goes. Delight in him and you won't care about the material luxuries that other people are delighting in. That's David's point. Delight in the Lord and don't worry about what other people are delighting in. You delight in him. And when you are delighting in the Lord, not only does he take away your envious attitude of wanting what others have, but notice David says that to those who delight in the Lord, he gives them something. He takes away that envious attitude But he also gives them something. He gives them, he says, the desires of their heart. Notice verse 4 again, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, let me explain. This can't possibly be a promise that God will give us whatever we want. I say that because remember the people that David was writing to wanted what the wicked had. That was their problem. They were envious. They were jealous of the material prosperity of others. So so David obviously isn't saying that if you just delight in the Lord, then the Lord was going to give you whatever your greedy little heart desires. I mean, that was the problem. He's correcting. He's not encouraging that. He's not accommodating that. So what is David saying? Well, he's saying that those who delight themselves in the Lord are given the desires of their heart because when you delight in the Lord... Your desires become godly desires. That's the point. In other words, when you delight in God, you have righteous desires. And it's those desires, those righteous desires that God grants. Why? Because those desires honor him. Those desires give him pleasure. So he loves to to 
grant us those. They're not selfish desires. Listen, if you're having trouble coveting what other people have and you resent the prosperity of others, start delighting in the Lord and he'll give you new righteous desires. Instead of desiring material things, that's the way to keep from being upset over the success of evildoers. Now, so far, David has told us that the way to develop a meek and a humble spirit is, number one, trusting in God, trusting in him what? To provide for what we need so that we don't care if others have more than us because we believe that God is faithful to meet our needs. And by delighting in God, trusting in him, but delighting him so that he gives us now righteous desires in place of unrighteous desires for the material things that others have. But as David continues this psalm, he gives us a third command in relation to the Lord, a command that will help us to not only get over fretting, over evildoers, but also will cultivate in us this spirit of of meekness, strength under control. He tells us to commit our way to the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he'll do it. Now, this is a, a precious truth that David is teaching us, and one that ought to bring a great deal of comfort to all of us. See, the Hebrew word that's translated commit, literally it means to roll, to roll, R-O-L-L, roll. And, And the thought here is that we are to roll our burdens from our shoulders onto the Lord, onto him, onto his shoulders. I find that such an incredibly wonderful, liberating truth. Roll your burdens on him. Now think about the burden of the people that David was was writing. Think what they were carrying. They were carrying the heavy load of anger and envy over the success of evildoers, as well as they were worrying about their own needs, their own material needs, their own lives. And the Lord says to them, and he says to us, we need to take this to heart, take all of your fretting and all of your envying and all of your anxious thoughts, whatever they might be, and just roll those burdens on to the Lord upon me. Trust me to provide for all of your needs. This is a wonderful command. Its New Testament counterpart is Peter's invitation to us in 1 Peter 5, 7, to cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. It's the same truth. It wouldn't be surprising to learn that that Peter was reading Psalm 37, and the Lord inspired and guided him to write this down. What a way to live. What a way to deal with anger and envy and worry. Just cast every burden onto the Lord and don't take it back. Just leave it with him. This is exactly what Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. I love this teaching, Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25, and it goes on. It's important that we understand that worry is a sin. It's become the American acceptable sin. We don't even think about it, but it is a sin. It's wrong. It's a slap in God's face. It's saying that, yes, I know what you're saying, but... Listen to what Jesus said. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Let's stop here for a moment. Is life for a believer in him 
more than food and more than clothing? Yes, absolutely. Our lives are not defined by what we eat and what we wear. What is life for a Christian? Life for a Christian, Paul said, for me to live is Christ. It's what Jesus is asking. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. I certainly hope it is for you as a believer. Life is about honoring Christ, putting him first. Then Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. And I wouldn't be shocked if a a flock of birds were just flying by when he said this. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? It's a rhetorical question. Of course we are. Of course we are. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? What a profound truth. You can worry yourself sick, but you cannot worry yourself to stay alive one moment longer than what God has ordained for you. And why, Jesus said, are you worried about clothing? And he's not talking about styles here. He's talking about people who needed clothing to weather the the physical storms of life, the environment, the heat, the cold in Israel. So why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. He was talking to disciples. He didn't say, you of no faith. You of little faith. Get it larger. Where is your faith? So then he said, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? He said, for the Gentiles, he means pagans now, for the pagans eagerly seek all of these things. In fact, unbelievers are obsessed with these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Unbelievers don't have a loving heavenly father who knows what they need or cares about them, but we do. Listen, as I said, although worrying is an acceptable sin, we think it is not acceptable to God, such a way of life is abnormal. It's not right. It's wrong. It's sinful. We don't need to worry about anything because... Our Lord has told us that we have a loving, heavenly Father who not only knows what we need, but who cares about us and will provide for what we need. That's the point. It's not that God just know. I know, but I'm not doing anything. No, I know, and I, I am your heavenly Father who has promised to provide. So we're not to fret. We're not to be worried over anything, especially, as David teaches us, over the prosperity of evildoers. Now, as we said earlier, the people that David was writing to, they were apparently, because the text indicates this, being persecuted by these wealthy and successful unbelievers. So one of the things they were struggling with and and worried about was being slandered, being falsely accused of wrongdoing so that their reputations were under attack. That's a very serious thing. You lose your reputation, you've lost all. That's why David mentions in the very next verse, God eventually vindicating them, clearing their name. Notice verse 6. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. In other words, as you roll your burdens onto the Lord, you can roll on him your damaged reputation as well. Roll it on him because someday he's going to clear your name and restore your reputation by bringing forth the truth about you. 
that you were a believer, that you were a righteous person, and he will vindicate you. Very few men have been slandered and verbally attacked like Charles Spurgeon was. You've heard me quote about Spurgeon from him many times. I love Charles Spurgeon. I've read many biographies during my lifetime. I love biographies. Spurgeon was special, and I have not read of many people who were criticized like he was. In his early 20s, Charles Spurgeon became the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. He soon became the most popular preacher in the entire United Kingdom, with thousands of people coming to hear him every Sunday. But his popularity and his youthfulness, he was in his early 20s. His popularity, his youthfulness, and his distinct style of preaching, as well as his strong Calvinistic doctrine, soon brought out all kinds of criticisms, hurtful things. I mean, I'm talking about not just people talking on the street, written about in the newspaper. It was fashionable to do that in London then. It was fair game for everybody. So in light of all that Spurgeon went through in terms of being criticized, I thought it would be very meaningful to hear his comments on Psalm 37 about God's promise to vindicate us in the future as well as what he had to say about being slandered. Here's what Spurgeon said about God's promise to bring forth your righteousness as the light. He wrote, and I quote, In the matter of personal reputation, we may especially be content to be quiet. Leave our vindication with the judge of all the earth. Very meek statement. The more we fret in this case, the worse for us. Our strength is to sit still. The Lord will clear the slandered. If we look to his honor, he will see to ours. On another occasion, Spurgeon said this about being slandered, and he was greatly slandered. He said, God had a son who had no fault but he never had a son who was not found fault with. God himself was slandered in paradise by Satan. Let us not expect, therefore, to escape from the venomous tongue. So, if part of your fretting these days is over being slandered, just roll that burden onto your Lord, because someday he's going to clear your name. Someday the truth about you will be known This is exactly what we're told the Lord Jesus did when he stood before his accusers. 1 Peter 2.23 says, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And why did Jesus behave like this and not fight back? Because he was the epitome of meekness. He was meekness personified. His strength was totally under control. Remember who he is. He's the God-man who made all of his accusers, who created them. Strength under control because he was in complete submission to the Father. Now, God has spoken to us about some very definite things that we are to do, that he commands us to do, that we have no options if you're a believer. We are to trust him to provide for us. We are to do good by obeying his word. We are to delight in him, and we are to roll our burdens upon him. This is the way God says to develop a meek and a humble spirit, and it is God's will for our lives. You don't have to wonder, what is the will of God for me? This is it. He's told us. 
So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you will. You'll take these commands to heart and you'll start obeying them. That's what believers do. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they what? They follow me. Not they look over their options and see what's best for them. They hear my voice, they follow. You'll stop looking at what other people have and you'll start applying this by looking to the Lord, trusting him to meet your needs, delighting in him for who he is and rolling every care and problem you have on him. And when you're tempted to get your focus off of him, you come back to these truths. Memorize these verses. Meditate on them. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you need to take to heart the truth that David has said in verse 2 here, that this life is brief and it's, it's fleeting. It'll soon be over. Before you know it, your life will be over and you will pass into eternity. And then the only thing that will matter at that time is Jesus Christ, not how many material things you gained in this lifetime, not how many toys you had, not how much fun and enjoyment you had. All that will matter is if you have a relationship with Christ. So I urge you, trust him as your Savior. Believe that in dying on the cross, that he was dying, paying for the the sins of sinners of which you are one. And that your only hope in going to heaven is to have your sin forgiven. It must be paid for by a perfect substitute. He was that substitute. Trust him, not your own righteousness, not church, not baptism, not good deeds. Trust Jesus Christ as you turn from your sin of self-centeredness and trust Christ for salvation before it's too late. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we have heard your word spoken through your servant, David. We pray that it'll impact us. We pray, Lord, that for those of us who know you will take to heart these truths. It won't be in one ear and out the other, but we'll be doers of the word and not hearers only. I pray you'll help us to to trust you to meet our needs, not to worry. Help us to delight in you, Lord, to be satisfied with you, not things, but to gaze upon you your attributes, your qualities, your handiwork, your beauty, and to just enjoy you. That, that is what the Westminster Catechism says in the Confession, that the chief end of man is to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. Help us to do that, to remember to do that every day. And Lord, help us to roll our burdens upon you, not to worry, but to commit things to you and to leave it there. And when we're tempted to worry, to come back to rolling those burdens back on you. We thank you that you have told us that you'll take it from us. Father, I pray for every believer struggling with whatever they they are struggling with, whether it be prosperity or worrying about other things, that these truths will be driven deeply into our hearts, that we would be obedient to them. And I pray for those who are not Christians, those who have never trusted Christ as Savior. Lord, only you can open their hearts. We pray that you'll draw them to yourself, that you'll show them their sinfulness and their need for the perfect substitute Savior, one who who died on the cross, bearing the shame of it all, bearing your wrath as you poured it out upon him. And those who trust him, Lord, are free from any punishment. 
I pray you'll open their hearts, their minds to that. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I like that word picture of rolling a heavy load off our shoulders onto God's shoulders. After all, His are much broader and stronger, aren't they? And if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, and you want to talk to someone about that, I'll have a number for you to call in just a moment. This is Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you want to know more about Lakeside, or if you want to talk to someone about salvation, call 727-441-1714. There's more information about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com. That phone number again is 727-441-1714. That's also the number to call if you'd like to ask for a CD with all three parts of the message Pastor Steve just finished today. Ask for message 5182, Fret Not Because of Evildoers, Part 2. Another option is to visit our website where you'll find an extensive audio library on our message archive page. Go to versebyverseradio.org. We have today's broadcast and hundreds of previous ones available for streaming or download at no charge. It's a great way to get caught up and a great place to send friends who might benefit from these programs. There's also a giving page where we provide a simple and secure means of helping to fund these listener-supported programs. If you're already partnering with us, thank you for participating. Your generosity means a great deal to us. I'm Jerry Peterson. I hope you can... We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. 